Good to see each and every one of you today. Um, Victor, good to see you. Can you believe this morning, uh, I, you, you know when you have different stages of sleep and you kind of remember your dream? I dreamed about you. I don't remember what it was, but I just want you to know God's thinking of you. Amen. And Yasmi, I saw you online wishing me happy birthday. Thank you. We love you. Been thinking about you. Viola, we're uh, sad that you weren't here today, but we'll see you soon. And to each and every one of you that are here today, how many of you are ready to go down the water slide today? Okay. Let me read a verse. It's my birthday. Um, that means I get to say whatever I want, and it's excusable. Next week, however, is going to be amazing. Uh, I was on my way today preaching next week's message in my heart. It's called Overcoming Temptation, so you want to be here next week because we all have temptations, let the church say it. Amen. John chapter 10, verse number 10. Scripture says, the thief does not come except to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. But I've come that they may have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. And today I want to talk from this subject, once dead. Father, I thank you for another year of life. Thank you for each and every one that is gathered in this sacred moment to hear your word and to experience uh, your presence in a sacred assembly. We thank you, God, uh, for what you're doing in our country. We know that it hasn't definitely not been perfect and there's been a lot of uh, tension and, and, and just some injustices that has happened. And Lord, we just know that through prayer and through redemption that you're able to Get the glory and bring us together as the United States. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. You could be seated today. Usually on my birthday, um, I don't like parties uh, on my birthday. Awkwardly enough, I was having a sauna talk with somebody today. And, uh, and they asked me what I was going to do for my birthday. And I like to go to parties. I don't like to be the spectacle of the party. And I, I thought it's interesting enough that, like, I have to preach every week, but I literally hate the attention to be on me. Um, so what I usually like to do on my birthday is go in uh, to a secluded area where there's no phone service and nobody uh, that can get a hold of me or reach me. And I like to get in front of a lake and sometimes I fish and I reflect my whole life. Like, I'm a little bit of a philosopher. Like, I like to reflect my whole life. And I ask these questions, like, Hey, are, are you happy with where you're at? Did you think you would be here? And what are you missing in your life? Does anyone else get really deep on, on your birthday? Come on, when you're 35 and older, I'm 39. When you're 35 and older, it starts happening. You quit wanting to, you don't want to do candles and cake because you've got cholesterol and diabetes now. So you can't be doing that. So, uh, so I get this opportunity to, to minister to each and every one of you and have a lake experience with you. And this lake experience today of reflection, I want to reflect with you, first of all, to say, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would not be here today. And if I can get anyone that can witness to that, that your life, if it wasn't for the grace of God, you wouldn't be here today. But as I think about the goodness and grace of God, and I think about my Christian experience or walking my faith out as a believer, I've had many struggles with it, and I've had uh, many thoughts 
and wrestling matches with God. And uh, I realized over the course of time that God and Christianity was not primarily based on what I do for God, but what God has done for me in Christ Jesus. It wasn't primarily based on, on, on making me a better person, but making me a more alive person. He doesn't just make bad people better or bad people good. He makes dead people come back to life and gives us life more abundantly. So in that way, when the scripture says the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But he came that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. A life that is not just achieved from below, but a life that is received from above, a life that is filled with the joy of God and the peace of God, that passes all understanding, that guards our heart and mind, a life that is lived in us and through us by the powerful working of Jesus Christ. But as long as we live, and the more that we live, there will be times in your life, whether it be spiritually, emotionally, and uh, some of you have experienced even physical death surrounding you, that in this broken world that has not fully been redeemed to see all of the perfection of the glory of God yet, you will at some level experience the work of the enemy called death. And death, uh, you're like, man, this is kind of deep on my first day at church. We're going to talk about death. And with death comes a few lies. And I want to talk about a few of these lies today and give you some stories uh, of people in the Bible who by the grace of God were physically dead and, and resurrected back to life through the grace of God. Number one, there's six lies that death tries to tell us. Number one is don't get your hopes up. In fact, there's a Shunammite woman in Scripture. And in the Scripture, uh, she has money and wealth and she builds this prophet's quarter because the prophet Elisha would often walk through. And when he came through, she wanted to extend her house to be a house of hospitality that would make room for the prophet to be able to rest. The prophet tells her, hey, uh, since you've done this for me, what are you lacking? And she says, I'm not lacking anything. I don't need anything. And then the husband goes ahead and tells on her, says she doesn't have a child, and she's been barren in her womb. I want you to see uh, the beauty of what she does, because the prophet says to her, by this time next year, you will have a child. I love hospitality, because as she opens her house, God is opening her womb. And as she becomes a miracle for somebody else, God is doing a miracle in her. Not one seed that you sow in the kingdom, it may leave your hand, but it doesn't ever leave your life. And what you do unto others may be doing something internally in you that is actually opening a miracle for you. She thought she was being a blessing to somebody else, but she was actually being a blessing to herself. Because the more she opened her home, the more her womb became open. The more we serve others, the Bible says, the more we refresh others, I, we ourselves become refreshed. So the prophet says, hey, all these kind things you've done to me, by this time next year, you're going to have a child. And she makes an interesting statement. She says, 
you could almost feel the pain in the text of like so much disappointment that she's walked through that she says, do not mislead me. And by that time next year she has a child and time goes on and that child, uh, that young man is out there working in the field and the Bible says he came with a strong headache and he drops dead and he's brought back to the house and, and, and this Shunammite woman begins to pursue him, uh, pursue the prophet and she's going after him because now the miracle that she prayed for is now lost. Isn't it hard to, under can I get somebody honest, it's hard to understand God at times because you're like, you just gave me the miracle called the job and now I have confrontation at the workplace. You just gave me the miracle called healing from cancer but now I got diagnosed with diabetes because miracles don't excuse the mess of life. Miracles might be for a moment, but you still got to experience the brokenness of life. Miracles are not a way of escape from the brokenness of life. Miracles are a reminder that you won't always live in the brokenness of this world. And so all of a sudden, what she prayed for came to pass, and then she saw what she prayed for start to pass. And he passed away, and her baby boy she held in her laps, thinking of the day she told the prophet do not mislead me. And he seemed to have misled her because the verse says in verse 28, as she runs and meets the prophet, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said, didn't I tell you to not raise my hopes? And this is what, when you experience enough disappointment, you listen to the lie of death and you say, you know what? Why get my hopes up anymore? And some of you, have been so disappointed by unanswered prayers that you've learned to live at a lower expectation for your life. Because the higher you raise your expectation, the more possibility that you are disappointed. The more crazy you make your prayers, the more, the more chance that there might be that they're not answered and you might experience disappointment. So you've learned to live at the level of your disappointment rather than the level of your faith. And you've learned to live with the lies of death that says, just keep your hopes down. And the prophet comes and he meets and he goes in the room of the young man who's dead on the couch. He brings him to the room and he lays on him and does some CPR, spiritual CPR. Spiritual CPR is way better than regular CPR. And he does some spiritual CPR. The boy sneezes seven times and he calls the mother in and he says, take your child. And I can almost hear the words behind his words, keep your hopes up. No matter what you've lost, no matter how disappointed you've been, no matter how life hasn't went your way, keep your hopes up. Don't ever lower your hope to the level of your last disappointment. Hope beyond your disappointment. Believe beyond your disappointment. Our hope is not in this world because we would be the most miserable of men, but we have a hope that extends beyond gravity and the reality of where we stand today. We have a hope that is eternal in Christ Jesus. And I want to encourage somebody who's discouraged. I want to encourage somebody who's seen death. I want to encourage somebody, keep your hopes up. It may hurt, but it's going to feel a lot better than having no hope at all. So this young man, Brought her to a hopeless situation and hope was resurrected. Let me share with you the second story from Mark chapter 5, verse 35 through 42. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus. 
the synagogue leader. He was leading the synagogue. He was leading the church. And they said, your daughter is dead. And they said, why bother the teacher anymore? This is the second lie that death tells. It tells us, why bother anymore? And this is for somebody who's been serving in church or a leader and and you were waiting for Jesus, but Jesus seemed to have got distracted with the lady with the issue of blood, so he didn't make it on time. And there's something that has been deposited in your spirit that says, why bother praying? Why bother going to church? Why bother giving? Why bother reading your Bible? Why bother believing again? Why bother on working on the relationship anymore? Why bother doing any of this anymore? Oftentimes when death comes, it teaches us to ask the question, why bother? When you've served so hard and you've done so much and you've achieved so much and you've done this all for Jesus, let me just tell you what a lie that is. You ain't doing anything for Jesus. If you're doing it for Jesus, you're an employee of him. God didn't call for employees. He called for sons and daughters. God doesn't want you to be on his workforce. God wants you to walk with him and work with him and be in union with him and have relationship with him. He doesn't need more Christian work. He doesn't need your works. He needs your faith. And he needs you to walk with him. And you'll see what works you accomplish when you walk with Jesus. But there's something in people in religion that say, why bother? And when he came to the home and the leader, Jesus saw commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. They were weeping. They were hurt. In verse 39, he went and said to them, why all the commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. They laughed at him. They're in the most painful place of their life. But yet they're laughing. Because the scripture says that we use laughter to conceal a heavy heart. So not everyone you look at with a smile has a smile on the inside. In fact, a smile on the outside might be a performance of what's masking the deep pain on the inside. And so you see the funniest people who joke the most because they can't take anyone serious. It's not because they don't have pain. It's just because they don't want you to see the pain. So they keep smiling and keep acting like everything's okay. The Bible says that Jesus takes James, John, and Peter... He removes everybody from the room, and he gets down, verse 41, and he took this little girl by the hand, and he said, little girl, I say to you, get up. Let me just speak to uh, uh, the, the, the females here today, the 12-year-old you, little girl, get up. Maybe something in your life has disappointed you or defeated you, but little girl, get up. Let the women say amen. Little girl, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around, and she was 12 years old. And this, they were astonished. People are going to be amazed by the testimony that you're going to have in this next year because the little girls in this house are going to get back up. Maybe you don't believe me. So let me take you to Acts chapter 9, verse 36 through 42. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. And that's what you should name your daughter prophetically. She was always doing good. She was helping the poor. And about that time, she became sick and she died. Dorcas, <laughs> the girl, was always doing good. She was known for her generosity. 
but suddenly became sick and died. And this is what death tells you. Death tells you that bad things don't happen to good people. But she was doing good, so it would cause me to question God, like, hey, God, um, Dorcas is amazing. Should we go back to the other name? No, let's stay on Dorcas. Dorcas is giving and loving. Why don't you take my ex-husband? Why don't you take my ex-wife? Why don't you take somebody else? Because she's really nice. They're really mean. And this doesn't make sense that such a good person would have to experience this. Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know if you've read the Bible completely but we are not justified by our goodness and we are not excused from life because we do good things. And we all will face death at one time and then the judgment. And so all of a sudden you experience that not only did she get sick and die, but the Bible says Lydia was near Joppa. So then the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydia and they sent two men and urged him, please come at once. I want you to remember the last story in Mark when Jesus, he only took Peter, James, and John. And then Jesus tells the little girl, get up. Now Peter goes and they call for Peter. What do you think Peter does? Peter does what Jesus did. I'm glad to have a relationship with Jesus because I don't have to make this stuff up. The more you walk with him, you imitate him, and you do what Jesus did. And so he comes. And he sees all these widows who had experienced extreme loss. And as he sees them, he says, uh, um, they begin to tell the story of, you know, Tabitha, she, she made the clothes that I have right now. And she impacted my life because I wouldn't even have the garments. When I was at my lowest, she was the one ministering to me. When I didn't have anything, she was the one giving to me. But this lady who represents generosity got sick and died. Can I ask some of you, when did your generosity get sick and die? When you used to live your life to be a blessing to others, but now you've become so hurt and offended by others, you wouldn't even buy them a coffee if they wanted. You'd charge them interest on that $2 coffee. And some of you used to love to give, but trust has been broken in your heart, and now you have more theology on why you shouldn't give then why you should, and that's not a good thing, that's actually a bad thing. You're like, the Bible says, that's an old covenant, we don't need a tithe. Okay, if, if that's what you want to do, if you want to look at the New Testament, they sold their houses if you want to keep and, and gave it away. But if you want to live New Testament, we could do that. But let's ask the bigger question, why did your generosity get sick and why did it die? And Peter comes into the room and does what Jesus did and he gets on his knees and he starts praying and he says, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes seeing Peter and she sat up and he took her by the hand and helped her to the feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. And this became known over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. Maybe you don't believe that story. Perhaps we can look at Luke chapter 7, verse 11 through 16. Where the scripture said, soon afterward Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. And the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And this is what death teaches us. It says, you're alone. The lie 
of death is that you have no one left. Because imagine this lady, she's a widow, and in that culture and in that time, she totally depended on her husband for provision and all of these other necessities. But now, not only is she a widow, because you think you would just graduate from sorrow, but sometimes there's sorrow up on sorrow. You think you would earn your badge by losing your husband, but all of a sudden now she's having to bury her son. And I can only imagine the thoughts as she sees the casket walking that I have no one to depend on and I have no one left. The most lonely place in life is not always in the absence of people. Sometimes it's in the presence of people who fail to understand the journey you're walking. And sometimes you can sit in a room, you can sit in a crowd and feel so lonely and so lost. And Jesus walks up to the casket as they are carrying it. Then he said, he went up and touched and they were carrying him on. And the bearers stood still and he said, young man, and I speak over every male today, I say to you, get up, even though you've gone through so much as a young man if you tried to figure it out without your father, even though you've tried to experience life and get ahead, I say to this generation, young man, get up. I'm quoting some extra scripture right now because it's flowing in me. The dead man set up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. I want young men to get up and to get their voice back and to begin to use their voice and to begin to talk and not stay silent because the enemy wants to keep you dead. You could be in a relationship acting like you're alive, but if you don't have a voice, you're as good as dead. And if you've re retreated and held your tongue and, and refused to communicate what's happening in your heart, you're as good as dead. But he said, get up. And the young man got up and the young man began to speak. And they were all filled with awe and praised God. And a great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to his people. Psalm 68, 6 says, God places the lonely in families and gives the desolate a home in which to dwell. Perhaps you don't believe those stories yet. Maybe Acts 27 through 12. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread and Paul spoke, spoke to the people. Because he intended to leave the next day, he kept talking until midnight. Paul was that kind of preacher. The Bible says he kept talking on and on. And there was this young man named Eutychus who was at the, the, the ledge of the window on a three-story building. And Paul was preaching so good to himself that nobody else was listening. Come on, that's good right there. And he kept preaching. The Bible says he kept talking on and on. To the point the young man fell out of the window and died. This is what death says. It's your fault. As a preacher, I could understand because I'm like, did they leave the church because I said crazy things? Probably. Did they leave the church? Like why? why? They're offended in their faith because of what I did. And, and, and maybe not as a preacher but as a parent or just as a person. How much regret are you living in trying to change the past because you think what happened was your fault? Maybe you did contribute in some way or another. But you cannot partner with shame and find freedom at the same time. You cannot live in the regret of yesterday and find freedom at the same time. And so 
The Bible says that Paul got, got up. He ran downstairs and he, did, he practiced Elisha's spiritual CPR. And he got on that boy. He's like, please, Jesus, you got to raise this boy. This is my fault. And he's like, hey, guys, don't worry. Eutychus is alive. Now let's all go eat some food and be happy. Woo! Come on. How many know it was your fault but in some situation, but God still got you out and you're like, thank you, Jesus. It was my fault. I'm to blame. But Jesus really brought me out of that one. And I thank God that he doesn't hold your faults against you. He's like, you know what? That was terrible. But I died for terrible things on a cross. And I'm going to go ahead and not only cover that, but I'm going to blot it out and remove it so you don't have to live with it anymore. The grace of God does not cover your sin. It removes your sin. And some people still have a theology that God's covering something up in your life. God doesn't cover. He removes and blots out our transgressions and casts into a sea of forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west, he can't remember. God didn't just cover it. He blotted out. He made it white as snow. I'll give you a couple more, but one of the... Sixth one is death speaks this lie. It's too late. John chapter 11, 20 through 21. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming and went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. And now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. I don't know if anyone here has ever felt that way of like God I've served you, I loved you, we've been cool, but where were you for this? Martha was super close. Mary, super close. The Bible said that Jesus actually loved Lazarus, but you love him and you let him die? How could you love him and let him die? And she says, if you would have just showed up on time, if you just would have been there, if uh, if I just would have been raised with my father, if I just would have got the job, if I just would have, if I just would have, and we start rehearsing if we just would have, if God would have just, if they would have just did this for us and we would have just did that for them. If, if we just are able to pray enough, if we just have enough faith. But after all of that and all the relationship we had and all the promises we heard from God, Seems like you didn't show up on time and it seems like my brother could have lived. You know what? I've learned to understand that there's a lot of things I don't understand. Including this passage of scripture. Because Jesus sees the pain that people are experiencing. And he doesn't say get over it. He starts to weep. The God of the universe sits in the pain of broken humanity and weeps. If you have a hard time weeping, remember, the God of the universe shared with the tears of humanity and wept at the pain of his people. Because even though there is a glory day, he doesn't dismiss your pain, but he weeps in it. And the scripture says that Jesus wept. Then Jesus did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took him away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father... I thank you that you've heard me, and I knew that you always hear me. But I say this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. 
And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Which means, Lazarus' name means God's help. Which means God's help, get in there so this man can get out of there. And so God doesn't call you, God doesn't call you forth until he sends his presence in because he knows you don't have the power to get out unless he gets in. That's why he said, remove the stone. They're like, no, it's too smelly in there. He is not intimidated by the stench of your sin. But he's like, get that out of the way because I got to get in to get him out. And Jesus comes. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus come forth and he has his grave clothes on. And they're like, take the grave clothes off because everybody needs somebody to help them take the grave clothes off because you're fully alive but you're not free yet. And you need other people to help set you free. Help get some things off of your life. And Lazarus comes to life. The scripture said in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 22, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all who will be made alive. Perhaps you don't believe those stories. Let me just tell you a quick story. A few more stories if you've got just a couple more minutes. Thank you. Keep going, a pity clap right there. Okay, this is amazing. <laughs> Young man, I was, and I remember there's a season in my life where my mother looked at me and she said, something in you died. And I remember a moment in my life where I debated driving off a cliff. Because I was once dead. Oh, sure, I came to church and sure, I went through the the drills, and sure, I can sing the songs better than the worship team. We all know it. <laughs> Just joking. It was at another church a long time ago. Sure, I knew scriptures more than most. Sure. But it didn't prevent the fact that something in me died. No one's excused from the internal deaths that we experience in life. But on this day of reflection for me, not only did a part of me die, but a new part of me lives. And I have seen the glory of God. I have seen the resurrection of Christ, not once. I've seen it over and over in my life. I want to share a few more stories with you. So they're going to put up a video in a few minutes. and I want you to watch this. Uh, my name is Albert Mendeville, and I uh, heard about Heart Revolution Church actually through my wife. Um, someone had shared with her about this church. My name is Delilah, and I heard about Heart Revolution Church through my sister-in-law. Yes, Liza Lopez, and I was invited by a friend that I was working with at a salon, and she told me about a life group. So I attended the life group first before I came to church. Yeah, my name is Elias Gallegos, and I heard about Heart Revolution Church. I've known about Heart Revolution Church as Cornerstone. Before coming to Heart Rev, uh, it was just a lot of partying and, and things like that. We got involved. There wasn't a lot of respect in the home, uh, you know, mutually. And so it's like we were coming to church and we were doing our best to serve, but then we get home. And I think what really uh, devastated my walk was when we had gotten a divorce. And that's when I hit like the lowest of my walk. I came to Heart Revolution Church and as I came to Heart Revolution Church, a lot of things weren't healed in my life. And 
we got a divorce and that really impacted our life again and I just lost all hope with God. Yeah, my marriage was about to end. My kids were all over the place and I just felt like a failure. I felt horrible because um, I was the product of a mother that had been under addiction and I was abandoned because of it. You know, I never got to live with my mother again and she had ended up passing away, so I didn't want that for my kids. Yeah, I was at a park and uh, I had said, I went to go say goodbye to my kids. And I was looking for the, the right park to just shoot myself. And uh, I remember saying goodbye to my kids and they not really knowing what I was saying goodbye for. And I drove away and uh, looking for a park, parked at the park. And all I could think about was my oldest son, his eyes. When he was little, he had these big eyes. And all I could think about was that. So the rock bottom moment was leading up was I was drinking a lot and I hadn't been drinking for like, I don't know, 10 plus years. And uh, started messing with things that I shouldn't be messing with. And there was this one night uh, that I was dropping a friend off like at six in the morning after being out. And I got into a really bad accident, which I um, totaled my vehicle. And uh, that's kind of where the journey began again with God. I also was drinking a lot and something just told me that the alcoholism has ran in my family and it's starting to get to me. And I just, at that point, I went and I just got on my knees and I asked God to remove those desires for me to change my life. I couldn't handle the hurt anymore. And um, as I was actually literally holding the blunt in my hand and in that moment, um, was when there was like that encounter where that person told me that and then I got to like, I said, God, here, this, I'm done. Like, do something or I'm gonna die. And as much as I tried, I couldn't. And that's when I realized God telling me, there's a plan for your life. I have a plan for your life. And that was the moment that started everything. I was in my room and I just broke. I just, I, I wept because it was like in that moment that I realized how good was, how good God was to me. Uh, I just felt this overwhelming, tangible feeling of his like, his grace and his mercy. And I felt like him you know, putting in my spirit just how much he loves me. When I was at the place where I was on my knees, um, I journaled and I wrote everything that has hurt me throughout my years since little. Um, I was always told to journal and I finally just wrote all my hurt and I asked God that night and I said, please remove this from me. Like I give it to you. I don't want to feel like this anymore. I am tired of all these years being hurt of everything happening to me. I don't want to go through a process. I need you to heal me instantly. Um, I remember going to sleep and I woke up and when I woke up, I was unblinded. I, I had this peace that I've never had before and I felt like this blindfold was removed off my eyes and I knew everything that I've done everything that I everyone that I hurt and I just started to make everything right at that point God didn't allow me to kill myself God didn't allow me to die and after that I slowly started to realize that maybe there was something for me on this earth maybe maybe that I had purpose, you know, 
maybe there was a purpose for me. Maybe there's a reason that God made me because up until that point, I thought I was a mistake. I thought I didn't, I didn't think much of myself. And when, when I realized that, that I couldn't kill myself, that God had a purpose for me, and then I started to understand what that purpose was, that's what changed my life. So after the accident, I remember uh, Delilah had reached out to me, and that was like the first time I feel like she reached out to me uh, in a place of compassion. Um, and there wasn't like a written script. It wasn't like, hey, I want to get back with you. Or she was like, hey, I want to get back with you. It was just kind of organic. I think we both went through such an encounter with God that slowly our hearts kind of started just coming back to each other. So um, there was this one time when we went out to like a dinner with our kids. And uh, sorry. my son uh, uh, sitting in between us and he's just looking at both of us like just so happy, like ecstatic. It didn't, nothing else mattered at that moment. And after that point, it's like we just started talking and, and pretty rapidly we're like, you know what, like, let's just get married again. The first thing I want to say is you're not alone. The, the greatest lie, one of the greatest lies the enemy will do is try to pretend to make you feel like you're alone, that nobody understands you, and that, that nobody's gonna get you, not even God. And so, you know, there's nothing better than to just take your life or you're gonna be okay by yourself. And that, that's a lie from the enemy, it's a lie from the devil. To me, it's like when someone's broken and down and hurting and, and they're going through their process, you just love them. You love them because God changes our hearts, you know? Don't ever think just because you're under addiction that you can't uh, be loved by God or that you're not enough because that's complete opposite. Uh, he leaves the 99 for the one and you're that one. You're gonna have a lot of questions and you'll probably always have a lot of questions. But if you allow God to show you who he is, um, you'll receive this love and this mercy and this forgiveness and this grace that you've never felt. And God is very tangible. At your lowest point, it's not your friends, it's not your family that are gonna answer you, it's gonna be God, right? Because that's a promise from the Bible, right? I cried out to the Lord and he heard me from, he heard me from the top of the mouth. Like that's the promise that God gives us, right? Wherever you're at right now, right? If you're at that lowest point or, or lower than you ever thought you could possibly be, cry out to God right now and he will answer you. Come. 
Thank you for the power of your blood. 